0: This is Jeff Cross, and welcome to the September 29th, 2022 edition of Views on the News from the Couch, a baby boomer's attempt to pass along his views on the news. Quick hitters, Russia just passed a law that soldiers who surrender and don't escape can get 10 years in prison. On the one hand, that's awful. On the other hand, is Russia acknowledging that being taken prisoner is a form of desertion that many of their soldiers are choosing? Let me be very specific. I mean for Russian troops in Ukraine. I do not mean for POWs in general. House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler, in preparation for the first impeachment against Trump, said the plan cooked up by Speaker of the House Pelosi and Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff not to allow cross-examination of witnesses by the Trump team in the hearings was un was quote unfair and it's unprecedented and it's unconstitutional end quote. This is from an upcoming book and there are many stories on this subject. I link to a New York post article Four regions of Ukraine will be annexed by Russia in what some may call a steal the vote election. The re- regions allegedly voted to join Russia by 93, 87, 98, And 99%. I have not heard of any evidence of fraud, though I am suspicious. Can we just shut her up? At the Korean demilitarized zone, our vice president said that we have a strong alliance with the, quote, Republic of North Korea, end quote. Nope, we support South Korea, which is called the Republic of Korea. I wish she would read her briefing books. The end of September is also the end of the third quarter. Quarterly stock statements will be coming out in early to mid-October. I wonder what their effect will be on the midterm election. Not saying they should have an effect, but I'm guessing they will since the stock market has, shall we say, receded. Moving on. Yesterday was a busy day and I have not followed the hurricane that is hitting Florida. I did wonder on Tuesday how the media will cover the hurricane damage. They usually have a choice in how they frame the coverage. Do they do it as heroic efforts by the government in the face of an awful situation or bumbling governmental efforts that made it an awful situation? And do they blame or laud the state and local governments or the federal governments? I'm pretty sure the gobbledygook media will check their play sheet and look up their response for when Democrats control the federal government and a Republican is the governor of the state and then we will slam the governor. Let's see. Joe Manchin made a deal with Senate Majority Leader Schumer to support the Inflation Reduction Act that would not reduce inflation in return for a vote on a bill to make it easier to build energy infrastructure. They tried that in the recent continuing bill to fund the government, but liberal Democrats would not support it and Republicans did not support it. Either over spite for Manchin voting for the misnamed Inflation Reduction Act or because Republicans prefer a different energy structure, infrastructure bill. My guess is that there were extra goodies for West Virginia, and Republicans were not going for that. In addition to needing ways to continue to develop fossil fuel reserves, we need more electric lines to move electricity, some from renewables. We'll see if Congress can work this out. A few Christmases ago at church, I heard a pastor give a sermon that the story about Jesus being born in a stable was fake news. When I got home and did a search on that, because that's what I do, I found rather than being homeless in Bethlehem for the census, his family was likely taken in by relatives, and the stable story was something crafted more than a millennium later. I mention this because yesterday I heard a different interpretation than I was used to of the biblical phrase, the meek shall inherit the earth, from Matthew 5.5, 5. the person said the real interpretation was something like, if you have a sword and know how to use it and show restraint and kindness, then you shall inherit the earth. That is different than the meek shall inherit the earth, which I assume is an English translation from the original Greek in the New Testament. I did another search of the internet on this subject and found that the original Greek word was praus, P-R-A-U-S, and among other definitions, helps word studies, says praus means, quote, displaying the right blend of force and reserve, gentleness is in, quotation, in um, parentheses, end quote. Kind of like a black belt in karate who would rather not fight but can quite well if he or she has to. I think the actual meaning of Proust describes the United States when we are at our best, when we are striving for Proust. Be strong, be willing and able to use for, force, but try not to use force and only do so in a reserved and general way. Minimizing casualties, for example. We are not always at our best, either because we let our military decline or because we are a bit of a bully. Still, Proust, I think, is a good goal and one We do better than alternatives, such as China or Russia. Just saying. I never heard of R.H. Coase, C-O-A-S-E, until this week. He is a British economist who was still working away until he died at 102 years old in 2013. I linked to his 1974 paper titled, The Market for Goods and the Market for Ideas. The essence of the paper can best be summed up by Mr. Coase himself in this sentence. Quote, what is the general view that I will be examining? It is that in the market for goods, government regulations is desirable, whereas in the market for ideas, government regulation is undesirable and should be strictly limited, end quote. In the goods market, the thought was we needed government intervention. In the ideas market, we wanted the government to stay out. He uses a Supreme Court opinion by Justice Douglas and then a comment by Aaron Director to make his point, quote, Director remarks of the attachment to free speech that is, quote, the only area where laissez-faire is still respectable, end quote. Mr. Coase tried to understand why the Western world felt the goods market needed to be tightly regulated, but that the government should keep their hands off the ideas market. And he offers a simple answer, which I will quote at length in his own words, quote, The market for ideas is the market in which the intellectual conducts his trade. The explanation of the paradox is self-interest and self-esteem. Self-esteem leads the intellectuals to magnify the importance of their own market. That others should be regulated seems natural, particularly as many of the intellectuals see themselves as doing the regulating. But self-interest combines with self-esteem to ensure that, while others are regulated, regulation should not apply to them. And so it is possible to live with these contradictory views about the role of government in these two markets. It is the conclusion that matters, end quote. I love that phrase. It is the conclusion that matters. Don't dwell on the reasoning or the logic, just the conclusion, baby. To sum it up, the intellectuals thought others should be regulated, but not themselves. Rules for thee, but not for me. I was alerted to this paper by an article written by Peter Jacobson in Fee Stories, which I link. He describes the increase in the call for censorship and reviews the paper I just covered by Mr. Coase. He then basically asks, why are intellectuals now calling for censorship? Why the change? Mr. Jacobson makes the argument that with the internet, anyone can broadcast their thoughts. Hell, even me with this seldom listened to but high quality podcast. Here is the money line from Mr. Jacobson and why we are seeing more calls for censorship. Quote, now that the market for ideas is no longer dominated by academia and the journalism industry, members of those groups no longer have the same incentive to stop industry regulation, end quote. A few months ago, I started using the term betters. I can think of no other example of what I mean by betters than Senator Elizabeth Warren. Someone who thinks she is better than me, knows better than me, and wants to tell me what to do, and I'm sure wants to shut me up. I mean, if she knew me. When our betters have the microphone, they want free speech. When we all have access to the microphone, free speech not so much. We need to regulate it. I'm betting this last one is a bit out there for some of you. I suggest you, and me for that matter, Listen in the next few months whenever someone calls for government action against misinformation or disinformation. What are their concrete examples of misinformation or disinformation? Do their examples hold up over time? What are the solutions? Maybe try to think about their motivations. You might also consider this linked article by Jonathan Turley on the subject. I saw it just as I was putting this episode to bed. He uses a panel on free speech at a university as a jumping-off point for comments. He noted that all on the panel were in favor of some form of censorship and thought not having anyone in favor of free speech on a free speech panel was, quote, like a collection of vegans assembled to celebrate meat-based diets, end quote. He points out that faculties now are dominated by liberals, and while he argues for opposing points of view on panels, he wonders where they would come from since most people with opposing views have been purged. I will close with this Turley nugget, quote, however, it is ironic to hear academics complaining about opposing views crowding out of other discourse on a panel devoid of any alternative views of free speech or censorship. End quote. Thanks for listening to Views on the News from the Couch. If you like this podcast, please share with your friends. If you did not like it, please share with the rest of the folks you know.